Welcome to the Your Own Food Coach Podcast. My name is Pamela Kelly. I'm a registered dietitian and nutritionist for over 25 years. We have created this podcast to have a conversation to explore the world of food, nutrition, health, and body image together. You've come to the right place. Welcome to Episode 7, Nutrition Biology, How to Make Sense Out of Current Diet Trends for Your Own Personal Nutrition. Now, we've talked in the past about mindful eating on other episodes, about intuitive eating, about hunger, and about fullness. And on our last episode, we explored different types of diets and a little bit of the evolution of how dieting has occurred. In this episode, we will look at What could be the motivator for you personally to choose the best practices for your own eating style or pattern or diet or whatever you've decided to call it? We've talked about the wisdom of the body as a resource for us to help find and build a mindful and intuitive relationship with food. The body is a resource and it can be extremely helpful in determining What is most important for you and your health, for you and your family, navigating through nutrition recommendations? A client came in recently on her last appointment after a visit with her physician. He had checked her weight and announced to her that she should no longer consume wheat or dairy. He told her she would have to give up sugar, too. Now, he had her best interest at heart. There is no doubt about that. But in a 10-minute session with my client, he set her up for a binge-eating episode that lasted for weeks. Why, you ask? It's because we are driven by the scarcity mentality, or as she described it to me, the Last Supper. She was told to give up these foods without the physician ever asking her what she actually ate. He had his own bias. She felt like she was going to have to stop eating bread forever. No more ice cream, ever. No more cookies, ever. And that idea was terrifying for her. The bias from this physician is based on current dieting recommendations. Stop eating gluten. Stop eating dairy. They're inflammatory. Weight will go up. Stop sugar, it's empty calories, raises the risk for diabetes. And you know what? Some of this is absolutely true. That our diets of the SAD diet, which is the standard American diet, is filled full of foods that cause inflammation and are causing problems with gut function, possibly increasing the risk for disease. And there is evidence that sugar is harmful in large amounts. And highly processed white wheat is stripped of nutrients and should be reduced. But the physician did not have the time to tell her what these restrictions would eventually lead to. She felt shame. She felt embarrassment. Not only that her weight was up and that he sort of lamb blasted her for that, but that it was her personal food choices that led to it and that it was her own fault. Again, I want to be fair here to my medical colleagues, some of which are my friends. It is not the fault of the medical community in large 
that diets do not have or doctors do not have time to spend with their patients to do a real diet history or to ask about the life that they live or if they have time to cook or if they cook at all. But really, you've got to be able to work alongside people to understand might be in their best interest. So recommendations were printed out and handed to my client. Pretty much eat this, don't eat that, figure it out, see me in six months. Woo, I see this as a problem with many of the diets that are out there. A blanket nutrition prescription for everyone, regardless of personal history, family history, social history, financial situations, the ability to cook or shop, and last and most important is a person's own nutrition biology. Now, this is a phrase I coined because when a patient or client fills out a nutrition assessment, I ask them so many questions about their general health, their health and the health of their family, parents, grandparents, all the way back. When clients fill out this assessment, I ask them, why did you stop eating bread? Why did you stop eating meat? Why do you give up dairy? And you know what? They don't know. It's because maybe their hairdresser suggested it or the yoga teacher or a personal trainer suggested it. The advice may or may not be valid. If someone has a sensitivity to dairy, of course you need to eliminate it. If you have a gluten sensitivity, of course you need to eliminate it. But we're talking about that blanket prescription that is given out to everybody that you need to comply and you need to do it to fit in. So many of the confusion that comes from trying to eat in a particular way comes from someone who has no idea what might be best for them. And it's sort of tied to the idea that you're doing something wrong if you don't eat the way your friends eat. And you all know this. You do have friends out there that you dine with that look at you and go, are you going to eat that? (laughs) So what my clients tell me is that they're trying to do their best to follow what is recommended. And eventually they end up going back and go back to their former way of eating or they try another diet, or they try another pill, or they try another detox. You know what? Maybe there's another way. So I want you to think about motivation. What motivates you to take care of your health? It's usually in pretty distinct categories. Disease prevention is the main one. Usually heart disease, cancer, and diabetes are really strong motivators for us. You know this is true if you've watched a loved one suffer or pass away from one of these three big disease states. Sometimes that motivation could be based in fear in what you've seen, or perhaps it's as a means to stay as well as you can to protect your family and be alive and share a life with your loved ones. We all know that catastrophic health care costs destroy lives as much as a disease does and is the responsible and is responsible for the financial ruin of many. So being motivated from disease prevention makes a lot of sense. And when we look at some of these diets, we might see some real good reasons to follow them. A general, another general motivation is from health promotion. Usually, general health motivation is tied to feeling better. You know, sort of your own personal health insurance. 
by behaviors that will improve your sleep, your skin, your hair, your energy levels. Sometimes this can be, you know, an interesting look at foods from a medicinal perspective. And many clients come to me with the comment, look, I just want to feel better. I know I feel that way. I know, for instance, that a diet that's highly processed does increase inflammation and can be responsible for energy and lethargy, along with issues with skin and hair and GI tract. So when we do a nutrition assessment, we might really look at some changes that might be necessary to promote overall health. And some of those you might be seeing in some of the current dietary recommendations to decrease some processed foods. The third motivation is fat and weight loss. Now, this could be tied to a family history of weight issues, but it could also be the result of comments that you've received by others or that deep feeling of judgment that comes when you've applied for a new job and you're the largest person in the waiting room. Or maybe it's that feeling that you got when you got on the last plane. If the motivation to drive is driven by a true sense of uh, that you want to feel well and feel better in your own skin, it just might be the driver you need to make changes to enjoy your life in a body that serves you well, that that specialized nutrition vehicle helps deliver you to the best life you can get. So if we agree, these three motivators, weight loss to feel better, general health, to feel good in your own skin and disease prevention, then that might help us find what might be best for you. If you notice, there's books, education seminars, retreats on dieting, and I want you to look at your own nutrition biology to see what might need to be done to be well and to be healthy. When you do that, you might notice that subcategories will begin to surface too. And that's what most of my clients find would is separate success and failure in changing their relationship with food. It's that sub issue of like, yes, I'm going to stop eating fast food. Yes, I'm going to stop eating white bread. Yes, I'm going to stop using Cokes. Yes, colas. Yes, I'm going to stop eating late at night, um, whatever. But you've got to agree that historically, if you exclude food groups without a good, solid motivation standard behind you, it just doesn't work. The percentage of diet failures is astounding. Some say the diet industry, although worth billions of dollars, is based on your failure that you're going to go on to the next and greatest thing. So let's look at a few of these diets and see if they exclude or exclude food groups and how you feel when you try to perform these dieting tips. When I did this research, and if you remember in last episodes, I've told you about not only the social um, media that I looked at, I also have wonderful colleagues across the country, learned professionals that promote and encourage certain particular ways of eating. And one that is of great interest to me and to many is the sustainable nutrition movement. Based on growing concerns for both the quality of food grown in this country and the move towards organic farming and the sustainable of sustainability of agriculture in general, this style of eating is very interesting to those that are environmentally driven, and those that have a strong 
nutrition biology, maybe a history of cancer in their family background. Organic, local, and fresh foods do not have the added chemicals that we see on a lot of our grocery store shelves. And the farming practices are not those that add that genetically modified corn that is fed to animals. Farming practices are sustainable. They look at the soil as something that has to be protected as much as anything and see soil protection as paramount for the next generation. You can support these practices yourself by buying and promoting the use of local farmers, local markets, and looking at whole and real food. You might be interested in some of the movements out there and articles written on nutrition subjects that are looking at the use of plastics, Teflons, and chemical exposures that do increase the risk of one of those motivators I looked at earlier, which is cancer prevention. A comment here, and that is that there are amazing journalists that do understand research and design, but they do not understand the impact of their words on people. If you want to make a change in your diet to support sustainable agriculture, you've got to take little small steps and include your family and talk about it. It might include reducing food waste in general. It might include buying and purchasing foods in bulk so that you're not using a lot of packaging. It might be reducing the amount of packaged and highly processed food ingredients that you use in your diet. It might mean reducing the amount of fast food you consume. It might mean buying only grass-fed beef. You have to decide which is the best way for you to start looking at food as medicine and as a sacred gift. And if you've listened to previous episodes, you know that using mindfulness practice will help you move to a more natural, sustainable diet for you and your family. And doing that, my friends, turns that eating of style not into a diet, but truly a lifestyle. Another interest many have is looking at the type of carbohydrate that you consume If you remember in another discussion about carbohydrate, it's clear there are two cues that we have to keep in mind. The first cue is the quality. You have to look at the type of grain that you're eating. Whole 100% grain, ancient grains, high fiber grains, low glycemic load, less processed. That's the first cue. And the second one is quantity. We have to eat in a slow process with smaller portions with thoughtful consideration to what's being presented to you. And it might mean that you split meals. It might mean that you eat less overall white bread or have less crackers or eat less pretzels. You might want to look at the way you consume your carbohydrate and starch. Are you listening to your body as a resource of how you feel? If you eat a diet that is super high in processed carbohydrate, does it provide you energy or do you feel sluggish? Do you overconsume when you do eat it? Is it a comfort food? Do you have a nutrition biology such as a family history of diabetes or many overweight family family members that tend to overeat carbohydrate? What happens if you eliminate it from your diet? 
Remember my client earlier that was set up for that scarcity mentality? If you did cut carbohydrate, what would you replace it with? Would you feel deprived? Could you just look at the amount and the quantity and the quality that you eat and not eliminate the entire food group? The other current trend is the ketogenic diet. This diet has been around for a long time and was actually used and created to help with some serious life-threatening metabolic diseases in the early and late 80s. I have to watch my nutrition bias here because there's some interesting studies that show that eating high-fat diets increase the risk for heart disease and possibly fatty liver disease. But there's also interesting studies about diabetes in the keto diet and that there might actually be some improvement here. But remember, if you decided to eliminate carbohydrate and increase your fat take, will you consider how your body reacts to high amounts of fat in your diet? Do you have a history of cancer in your family or heart disease? Nutrition biology may dictate that this style of eating is not in the best interest for you. And if you decide to do it, you need to talk to your family and figure out how you can incorporate that into a lifestyle that does not include children who do not do well with eliminating food groups. Another one is quite popular right now is intermittent fasting. Many people just by the design of their busy lives find themselves fasting for several hours anyway, and it works really well for them. Some people tell me they do not wake up hungry and it's lunchtime before they eat. And if they eat sooner than that, they are not, they don't feel well and they feel sluggish. Intermittent fasting is designed in several different ways, but one is that you consume your nutrients in an, in an eight hour block or a six hour block. So you have to ask yourself how you feel if you go a long period of time without eating. Some questions might be, if you did practice fasting, did you notice if you didn't eat, did it increase your anxiety? Did it lead to any overeating later on in your day? Can you fit it into a healthy lifestyle with others? In the day that you practice fasting or intermittent fasting, Would you be able to be with other family members? These are all things that you have to take into consideration and realize that many of these trends come and go. History has a way of repeating itself. And although nutrition science is an evolution and we learn things more and more every day, a lot of the lessons that we learn most of all are about eating real whole foods. Thank you so much for joining us today with the Your Own Food Coach podcast. We're all in search of answers, but it may be that it's the questions that we need to consider, or maybe it's that we're just not asking the right questions. If this podcast brought up questions for you, I encourage you to talk to family and friends. Talk to a therapist if you're confused about eating issues, or talk to me. I offer virtual nutrition coaching sessions and have worked with people all over the world. Please share this podcast and subscribe. And we welcome your comments always. 
And of course, a special thanks to my producer, Brian Strickland, and my brand manager, Malia Smith. Without them, this podcast would not be possible. The information presented on this podcast is for the enjoyment of all listeners. It is not intended as either medical or medical nutrition advice or counseling, nor is it specific to any particular individual. It is not intended to replace counseling, medical nutrition therapy, or treatment. Contact a healthcare professional if you are experiencing problems that seem health-related. Please contact 911 if you are having an emergency.